0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: Born in a stable, or born in a cave, or, you know, put in a manger and, but 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 if you think about the big picture, they're in the country, he's born, he looks up, eyes open, first thing he sees, the stars he created. That'd be a glorious, glorious moment. And then he, he listens, and the first sounds he hears, the animals he's
0: created. Oh. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Birth of Our Savior. We're in chapter two of the book of Luke and we will start today in verse six. We'll be looking at the birth of Jesus Christ as told in Luke's gospel. So, let's listen in.
1: So it was while they were there, verse six, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son. No reason to make any big deal of it, but that word firstborn ordinarily would apply or imply other born children, but in any case, uh, first born son. And then it says she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we still wrap newborns like this and, and there are three reasons for it. Warmth, protection, and security. But there's a fourth in this particular scenario. They were wrapping him and then putting him into a manger. And in verse 12, when we get to it, it will be a sign to those who first come to see that the Messiah has been born. It will be a sign to them. Well, a a, a newborn wrapped like that in and of itself, no big sign. They did that to all the newborns. But a newborn wrapped like that in a manger And by the way, the manger, in case in your mind, because of all the nativity scenes, you know, you got them by the fireplace mantle or on the television or, or, you know, they put them up around town. They're usually a wooden structure, not in Israel. In Israel, a manger ordinarily would have been a cave. In fact, if you visit Israel, they'll take you and say, this is the cave. Well, not our guides. They'll say, this is a cave like the cave because our guides know that nobody knows where those caves are or which caves were what. And But they take us out and they say, this is what it would have been like. That The manger itself isn't the, the place where he was born. It's the little feeding trough where they placed him. And so the, the picture here is they, they, they took him, now, uh, you know, she, she births him. He's wrapped in those swaddling cloths. He's laid in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. Now, this is a little strange if you think it through with me for a moment. Here's why. If everyone had to go to the city of their birth and if both Joseph and Mary, and it turns out to be true, were descendants of David, they had to both go to Bethlehem anyway and all of their family would have had to go there too. Now, I'm thinking they had to have some family. I mean, and, and it's strange if you think about it that, that none of the family apparently took them in, was either willing or able to take them in. I think our family right now, there's if we all got together, the living relatives, 35, 40 people, something like that. There are families in this church that are more like 100 people. And it's just generation after generation. Hey, ask Jamie about it. I mean, he's got his mom and then his grandma and his great grandma. And then, his, you know, there's kids. There's, it's just a big family. His alone. But but the, the deal is and my point is it's. Possible, And I'm saying possible. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. This is how it is. It's possible their families had shunned them and were unwilling to take them in because they just didn't buy the whole virgin birth story and, and, and really think it through for a moment. As godly of a woman as they knew Mary to be and, and as godly of as a man as they hoped Joseph actually was, it just would be a little hard. And I'm not sure that they even tried to explain to the family. Would you? I mean, would you be like, Hey, I know this looks bad, but the good news is it's God's child. You know, it's, it's just so odd of an experience. That there's no real basis to to explain it. And and so it's possible. And here's why I think it it could have really been. Because in that day, to have a child when you were unmarried, to, to be pregnant when you were unmarried, it brought shame to the family. It's a concept we've almost lost touch with in the 21st century. And really the latter part of the 20th, it was beginning to happen. But, but in their culture, if you sinned, that brought shame to you, but it also brought shame on your entire family. And so it's possible that they just didn't want to host them. They didn't want them to be, they didn't want that child to be born in that home. And I would encourage you, if those things you pray will never happen, do happen. And, and, you know, there's a pregnancy or there's something like that happens. Listen, you want to embrace your kids the way God embraces you. You want to take them in the way God takes you in because listen, first of all, that grandchild, what does he or she have to do with the sin of your children? Nothing. And, and and, uh, if, if things don't start right, that doesn't mean they can't end up right. And our job is to be about the ministry of reconciliation. We never do that by shunning someone because we're ashamed of what they've done. We can only reconcile people to God and to us by reaching out and extending ourselves and taking some things sometimes. Well, I have stories, but there's not time for all of, I have one I can share. We had a niece years ago and my boys were young and she was living in another state and ended up pregnant very young. I think 15, 16, 16 when the, the baby was born. But but anyway, she she was looking for her dad, my brother, not my brother Tony, my brother Mitch. They're completely two different guys. You know, one's a pastor, one was a convict. And not that convicts are all bad, you know, but he was bad. And, and uh, anyway, she couldn't find her dad, because her dad was in prison. And, uh, and so she ended up, you know, calling and coming and staying with us. And, and I remember one day we were sitting, she was obviously very pregnant and we were at a ball game and our kids were playing ball. We're in Durham living down there. And I heard people say, what kind of pastor is he? And I thought, I really wanted to get up and tell them, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but then they would have even more misunderstood, you know. But the deal is, I hadn't done anything except taken in my pregnant niece so she had a safe, secure home for her child to be born in. And because of just doing that, I had to hear this stuff. And, you know, you get some thick skin over the years, and but you want to try to stay soft-hearted in the process. And that's that's kind of tricky. You want to be warm and and loving and engaging and accepting, but at the same time, you have to hear things that... Well, you shouldn't have to hear. And my point is, if you're like, well, how could I ever be? We could all be in that situation. You see, we don't plan it. We don't purpose it. But the point is, we, we do have to listen and deal with it. And, and I think Mary and Joseph, they would spend their entire lives with some people who never really bought into, you know, the whole the whole, you know, Jesus is the son of God thing. I mean, here's something interesting. They say he was born in a barn, so if he left the door open, you know how the kids would say, Oh, were you born in a barn? He could say, sure, you know, and but that's another story, and just lighthearted, but anyway. When they'd say, Oh, Mr. Perfect, it was true. So all of the things you had to deal with. But anyway, here's what's probable. I know what's possible. Here's what's probable. It's probable that God chose this outdoor arena because it was a more fitting place for what he had in mind for the birth of his child. And when you see the story, if you've read it and you're familiar with it, and if not, we're gonna see it in a moment. Well, you see, well, this is so much better because first there's gonna be an angel, then there's gonna be all these angels and how are you gonna fit them all in a room anyway? God has something in mind that's so much more glorious his humble birth by the way and this is a humble birth i mean you know born in a stable or born in a cave or you know put in a manger and but 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 if you think about the big picture they're in the country he's born he looks up eyes open first thing he sees the stars he created that would be a glorious glorious moment and, and then he he listens and the first sounds he hears the animals he's created it's actually a very inviting scene if you compare it to the average inn or hotel or, or, you know, all the things that happen in those places. Now, here they are out in the open and, and, and the stars are out and the, the animals are, 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 you know, mooing and, and uh, bleeding and all the things animals do. Not real big on my animal sounds at the moment, but um, anyway. What do we read? They're in the same country. Verse, verse eight. Shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now, this is the third angelic visitation. We know that angels have appeared. Well, Gabriel appeared to Zacharias, and then he appears to uh, Mary, and and, uh, and speaks to Joseph in a dream. But but here here's the deal. These guys saw something they didn't and that's the glory of the Lord. It's more than Gabriel and he's most likely the one showing up. It's more than just an angelic visitation. The glory of the Lord is present. That means the Lord was present. And so they were greatly afraid, of course. And the angel said, do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, because we don't know that much about shepherds and shepherding and because most of our well, knowledge of shepherds comes from scripture. We think of shepherds in, in a very high light and, and we should. I mean, shepherds make great leaders. Moses was a shepherd. He was the one that delivers the children of Israel. David was a shepherd. He was the one who took on Goliath. And when he was trying to commit Saul to let him do it, he said, hey, I've been out keeping my father's sheep and a lion came and I took him on and a bear came and I took him on. And the same God that delivered me from the mouth of the lion and the bear will deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. Shepherds make great leaders. Our Lord is called the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. But there's something else for them, for the average person A shepherd was a social outcast. You know that they were so mistrusted that they couldn't testify in court. And so, you know, if you were a shepherd, the common folks looked upon you with suspicion. The spiritual folks, Well, they had problems with you as well. Why? Well, because you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go through all the washings that they went through that made them so spiritual and clean. You couldn't come to the temple for the three prayer meetings a day. You couldn't come for the studies they were doing and visit the synagogue service. Why? Because caring for sheep is like being a mom of a newborn. It's a 24 hour a day job. If the baby's up, you're up. And when the sheep were there, the shepherd had to be alert. They slept with one eye open. You know, that's what it was like. And go and read David's story of why and how and all that. But, but here's the point God chooses shepherds, those who were looked down upon by common people, who were looked down upon by religious people. But, but here's something else they were the ones. They were caring for the lambs that were offered in the temple morning and evening every single day. They were the ones who were raising the lambs who would be offered at the Passover so all the people could celebrate and worship the Lord together. They were providing a very needful service but they were looked down on because they, hey, they weren't hanging out in town. They weren't hanging out at the synagogue. They weren't showing up at the temple services. Well, In any case, these shepherds, first to hear the good news, first to preach the good news. And in between those two, they say, man, we got to go see this for ourselves. They're going to preach that there is born this day. And that's what verse 11 says. In the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior, by the way, points back to the promise of salvation and then points to the person of Jesus, for there is no other Savior. Isaiah, again and again and again, God says, hey, I'm God, there aren't any other gods, there weren't any gods before me, there won't be any gods after me. I'm God and I'm the Savior and I'm the only one. So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, I am And the father and I are one and no one comes to the father but by me. They all understood those were claims to being one with the father in a way that that goes way beyond what the average person today might put together. Christ, that speaks to his mission. It is the means of salvation. It points us not just to the savior, but to the cross, the blood he shed, the life he gave for us, the Lord speaks to relationship. So he is the savior. He died on the cross, was buried and rose again. But when we call him Lord, he asks us a question. Why say Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do the things I say? It's his question. It's a good question. Because, you know, like Peter, we're capable of saying things like, no way, Lord, or that's not going to happen, Lord. In fact, in fact, we're told here in verse 12, this would be a sign as the angel still speaking to the the shepherds. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Already mentioned these two together because there aren't going to be a whole lot of newborns lying in mangers in Bethlehem on that evening or on that day. But, but there's this King Ahaz in the Old Testament. He's not really a good guy. And, and God shows up and says, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord. And, and he pretty much says it. No way, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And so he says, I'm not going to ask, and uh, nor will I test the Lord. So, so the Lord says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." The point of that and the point of this is God can and does use signs to confirm his word. Now, there's a whole part of Christianity that's running and looking for signs or trying to make signs happen. They were never an issue unless God was using them to confirm something. But it was always about the word. And so, um, you know, there's a point where they come later in Luke. We'll read it a few weeks or will be quite a few weeks. Chapter 11. but, But they came seeking a sign from him, a sign from heaven. And, and, you know, he's got some things to say. He just says, no, that's not going to happen. And, and then in Luke eleven twenty nine, 29, the crowds gather and he begins to say, this is an evil generation that seeks a sign and no sign will be given except. That word except, it is a glorious word speaking to the reality of the grace of God because he could just say no, but he says no except. I'll give you one sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he says, Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. The son of man will be a sign to this generation. Well, the, the connection, of course, and there's a whole story there, but that's not my purpose for bringing him up. It's that that he's a sign and that that his experience of, of well, being cast off the ship and being swallowed by a whale and crying out, from the whale you know or from the fish you know it's we're told that in the belly of the fish Jonah cried out of the belly of Sheol I cried Sheol is an Old Testament word for hell now we don't know if he died and went to hell and then God resurrected him he could do that or if he just thought hey being in this fish is as close as I want to get but he said out of hell I cried and the Lord heard me And he answered my prayer. And the picture there is one of death and burial and resurrection. And it's just a picture, but for Jesus, it's a reality. Died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Buried and rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Well, suddenly, verse 13, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The heavenly chorus joins the celebration. The first thing they do is they give glory to God. Hey, that's how we start our services. We want to always start just praising God for gathering us, for his presence, for his desire to meet with us and transform us, to, to, to do what's necessary to make us more like him in the process. But they begin by praising the Lord and then they proclaim Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now, here's what's interesting. Peace did not come to the earth with Jesus' first coming, but peace came to many individuals as a result of his first coming. Peace with God because all men are by nature at enmity, at war with God. That's a testimony of scripture. So so when we stop running, when we stop resisting, when we stop rebelling, when we come to Christ, we have peace with God through the blood of the cross. That's the testimony of scripture. And then there's a peace that, that well, we're all after. And it's just that peace within. Okay, even people who don't believe in God want to find peace within. So so there's therapy and there's medication and there's uh, meditation and there's all those things. And, And here's the deal. Am I saying that, you know, therapists can't help? I'm not saying that. Am I saying that medication can't help or isn't necessary? No, for some people it's necessary. But I'm saying all the therapy and medication or meditation in the world can never do what God promises to do if we will simply pray and trust him. He says, he can give us a peace that passes understanding if you understand that the, the, the meaning of that he's saying I'm not promising to give you an understanding of what's happening and often that's what we think we need to have peace if you could just explain it I'd be at peace I'm sure it would help Job to know what was actually transpiring in those first couple chapters but the bottom line is God doesn't promise to explain things to us. He promises to give us a peace that we're not gonna obtain from any other source. And and, hey, I need that peace. I wanna be at peace within in the midst of the trials and the tribulations and the misunderstanding and the accusations and all of the things we've all dealt with and will. We can have not just peace with God, but peace within. And that enables us to be at peace with one another. And whenever we're you know, going at it with one another, It's it's this is the third part. It's because something isn't right in here and something isn't right up there as far as our relationship with God. Well, this is what they're proclaiming. Praise to God, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And then so it was when the angels had gone away from heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's come to pass which the Lord had made known to us. I like this. They heard about Jesus. They went to see Jesus. And when they leave, they'll go and preach Jesus. And that's exactly what he intends for every single one of us. They came with haste. I like that. They they weren't just kind of like, oh, meandering down. They're like running to get there, I'm sure. They found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger, just as they said they would. Then when they'd seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. I love that they say, let's go see this thing that has come to pass. It's key. They didn't say this thing that, you know, might have or that they said happened. They believed it. So they heard of him. They came to him and then they went out and preached him well Mary kept all these things in her heart pondering them we're told she kept all these things pondering them in her heart the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen as was told them listen the ultimate issue today for all of us if you know the Lord this is it if you don't know the Lord this is it The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the testimony of the psalmist in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, if you know that he's watching over you, that he's caring for you, that that he knows your needs and that that he's watching out and going before and and he's always got an eye on you, you can rest. You can rest. And, and, And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Well, Jesus, I mentioned it earlier and I conclude with it. He's called the good shepherd, the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. As the good shepherd, he gives his life for us. He says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. As the great shepherd, he he says, may the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. It's, it's there in Hebrews 13, 20. And what he's saying is not only did Jesus as the good shepherd die for their sheep, his sheep, but, but as the, the great shepherd, he lives and works in and through his sheep. And then in 1 Peter 5, 2, When the chief shepherd appears, two, three, and four, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. He died for us as the good shepherd. He lives in us as the great shepherd and he is coming for us.
0: For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. These are from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And I must confess, celebrating his birth is not something that should be stored away with our decorations until Christmas time. I choose to think on this and worship as often as I can remember to. And I will be blessed, and I will also bless the Lord. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.